thank you once again, and good morning to you all. Hope that you had a wonderful uh, rest, wonderful evening. And I want to thank um, all who are responsible for our coming and uh, looking forward to the balance of this week. Um, grateful to the Lord, but breathe a word of prayer with me uh, before I begin, if that's fine. Father, we thank you this morning and every day and every moment for your goodness and grace toward us. Speak to us and speak through us. Help us to hear and to say things that will make a difference, to provoke your people to faith and obedience, to bring even a greater understanding of you, your purposes, your priorities, and your perspectives. Help us to understand more what you already know regarding your world and regarding us as individuals. We thank you for that in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, I want to talk with you from a topic that I believe will have meaning that fits into your overall theme. We're talking about the hidden wisdom of God. My fundamental premise is that uh, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, the fear of God is not a dread. It literally means the respect, the honor, and the reverence of God. There are many people who have knowledge, but they don't have reverence. The fool said in his heart, there is no God. Uh, he's not a fool because he's intellectually or philosophically barren. He's a fool because he... Uh, refuses to assume responsibility for his, uh, his deeds and his behavior. He's a fool because he does not recognize his despicable state apart from God. So he seeks to silence the voice of God. He seeks to distance himself from God. Because the more he does that, he assumes that he's accepted within himself. But there's something within him that presses him and drives him. And what he's waiting for is you. The fool needs a believer to enact with him. That's the whole concept of Psalms 115. The fool said there is no God. And, uh, but the believer says that uh, there is a God. And my God is in heaven. He does whatsoever he wants. And that's the reason why you and I must be conscious of the world. The world is humanity seeking to govern itself without God. The world is not filled in trees and houses and lands. It's mankind seeking to orchestrate his life or seeking to silence the voice of God. You and I are in the world, but we're not of the world. That's very critical, children, that you understand this principle. You should never be afraid of the world. The whole premise of John 17 is that, number one, we're in the world. These are propositions. We are in the world physically. We're not of the world in terms of our concepts and ideas. We are out of the world redemptively, but yet we are sent into the world. That's why I do believe that two can walk together even when they don't agree. We have a misconception that our association with people means that we identify with them. I can walk with you while not agreeing with your fundamental propositions. I did not go to a Christian university. I did not go to a Christian college. I did not go to a Christian uh, dental school, nor a postdoctorate school. I went to schools that fundamentally were run by many people who did not believe God. But I knew that knowledge and understanding does not always reside simply in the minds of believers. You need to understand that God can speak 
through whom he wants to speak to. And what we have to do is not run from the world, but run toward it. But understanding, we do not have to agree with it. Don't ever be afraid that the world is going to overcome you. The fundamental principle of Jesus is that I have overcome the world. And you need to understand that. So I want to talk with you as last evening I began by saying that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge. It's understanding. Wisdom is comprehension of things. That's wisdom. Wisdom is knowing what to do, where, and when. <clears throat> These are very critical things to understand this. And last evening, I felt that the beginning of wisdom is the knowledge of God. God must reveal himself to us. That's why I spent time in talking about the 139th Psalm. It is a distinct, significant psalm. Because it reveals something about the sovereignty and the transcendence of God. We need to see God not as a religious being. God is a world person. God has no religion. Thank God. <laughs> he's not Baptist. He's not Methodist. He's not Presbyterian, Episcopalian. He's none of those things. He's definitely not Pentecostal. He's not charismatic. <clears throat> All of these are human perceptions of God. These are human efforts to try to worship God. But you need to understand that God is a transcendent God. And so the writer of the 139th Psalm made it very clear. Something about the omnipotence of God. God is all-powerful. He can do anything he wants to do. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere. He can perceive our thoughts, our understanding. God has fashioned us. We need to understand that. And I believe that that's important because we emulate what we worship. Very critical. So our concept of God must be clear. I did not spend as much time to talk about the human caricatures of God. Sometimes our concepts of God are subnormal. They're subbiblical. Sometimes we believe God as a parent who is never satisfied with us. Sometimes we think God is a landlord who evicts us when we don't pay our tithes and offerings. Sometimes we think God is, uh, how can I say, is a pacifist who does not want us to respond to things. We have a right to respond, but not to react. Reaction is weakness. Response is strength. We must stand up for what we believe. Now, hear me carefully. Humility is not passivity. Hope that you understand that. Humility is the highest form of obedience to God. Moses was humble, not because he was weak, but because he was strong. And so we need to understand. So I was trying to give us a clear understanding that our characters of God are sometimes subnormal. Sometimes we believe that God prefers women, men to rule and women simply to serve. Not really true. God, hear me carefully, is not an equal opportunity employer. He does not choose us all the same. God saves us all the same. We're all equal redemptively, but we differ in terms of our function. God gives gifts and callings. And so I made an understanding briefly just to give an overture of God. But I want to talk with you this morning, briefly if I can, about something that's been at the heart, I do believe, of our Christian journey. And it has to do with the, an understanding of our response to God. I want to talk about faith, stubbornness, and presumption. Faith, stubbornness, and presumption. If wisdom has taught me anything, it's how we respond to God. Faith is our contractual relationship with God. It comes by hearing. This is the fundamental premises of Romans. Faith comes by hearing. The hearing of the word of God. That's very critical. You need to understand that the quality or the character of your faith is dependent upon the integrity of what you have heard. 
That is, you can hear a gospel that is subnormal or partial or that is deficient. And for that reason, that the character of our faith is dependent upon what we have heard. And if we have heard a gospel that represents the full counsel of God. I live in a world where people and preachers have emphasized what I consider prosperity, which is an aspect of redemption. Or sometimes they've emphasized church, and everything is about church. I often say that church is not a place, church is people. That's why you can never measure church by buildings and houses and things of that nature. In fact, the New Testament church was never known by the terms we use today. It was always the church of a geographic location. It was not a church of a doctrine. And so I often would say many times that we have to be clear in these kind of concepts. Are you hearing me this morning? And so the quality of our faith, if we've heard a gospel that is partial, that's why I often encourage preachers, preach the full counsel of God. You must touch every aspect of redemption. God is concerned about the individual. The individual may be the center of God's will, but it is not the circumference. God wants the whole world to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. We must be clear about that because if we are not, we get caught up in what's good for us. What happens for us, what meaning to me, how I can feel good, how I can sound good, how I can get all of the benefits. That's wonderful. But you're saved in order to be a servant of God. And so you need to understand that the quality of your faith is dependent upon the integrity of what you've heard. Now, the reason why this is very important is because sometimes people can have feigned faith, a deficient faith, an inferior faith. I came up in a time when people were preaching on divine healing, and I do believe that. But you need to understand that science, hear me carefully, is simply a child of faith. Science does not contradict faith. And there were people who believed that if you had faith, you did not go to a doctor. Now, I am a dentist, a trainer, I'm a, I'm a prostodontist. And there was a time that I believed that God did everything supernaturally. Indeed, everything God does is supernatural. But God does use doctors. He does use medicine. He does use science. And for some time, people were so hyper-faith that they believed that I have to believe God. In order to go to a doctor, it was a, how can I say, it was a contradiction of my faith. And that's why I say that what we have heard, we ultimately will do. And so the quality of our faith was dependent. And so, as I talk with you this morning, my premise is taken from Hebrews chapter 11. It's a litany of faith responses. By faith, Abraham and Sarah believed. By faith, all the way down through. By faith in Abraham, uh, they believed God and they received the promise. But also, you need to understand that by, how can I say, by stubbornness, Abraham went down into Egypt. By presumption, Abraham and Sarah brought forth Ishmael. So even though we can have faith, we can sometimes operate in presumption. I must define my terms. Faith is a response to divine revelation, a response to truth. The crisis of faith is that we have not always heard the whole truth or we have misinterpreted the truth. Stubbornness, hemicaphalus, is not always wrong because stubbornness and faith are first cousins. Sometime before we walk in faith, we walk in stubbornness. Stubbornness is my own will, my own desire, my own uh, ambition to do something. It's a dogged determination. Uh, every athlete who's ever performed knows sometimes you simply must have not faith but stubbornness. That's that willingness not to give up, not to give in. But you need to also understand that stubbornness sometimes keep you away from God. 
Presumption, believe it or not, is the product of misconception, misinterpretation. That's why the word said, Lord, forgive me of secret faults and presumptuous sin. Paul is a classic example of stubbornness and presumption. He says he persecuted the church and wasted it. He said, but he did this out of ignorance, hear me carefully, and unbelief. So we need to understand that clear distinction between faith, stubbornness, and presumption. The distinction is based upon, number one, the source of the information. Does the information come from God, or does it come from the culture, or does it come from religion? It's very important that we understand these kind of things. So as I talk with you about it, I need to make some, what can I say, some statements or some premise. So my objective, number one this morning, is to stir your consciousness. I want to make you aware of these possibilities, that you can, hear me carefully, operate in faith, but you can also operate in stubbornness, and you can operate in presumption. You can presume to understand the will of God and yet misunderstand it. I've seen this so many times. So I want to make a few probably propositions to you before I get involved in what I need to say. First of all, a crisis is number one to know that we are New Testament believers. We're not Old Testament saints. It's a critical statement to understand because all of you are Christians. I do believe you're Christians. Raise your hand if you're Christian. Okay, fine. Some of you didn't raise your hand, so well, I have some heathens here today. <laughs> or backsliders. But you need to understand that we are New Testament believers, we're not Old Testament saints. Now, I said that as a premise and a critical question. When you move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you need to understand that some fundamental changes that happen. Thank God we did not have to bring a sheep, a bull, or a turtle dove in here this morning. Thank God we do not have to operate or reach God through a mediatorial priesthood. Thank God all of us can go to God ourselves. Thank God, hear me carefully, we're not under the sway of the devil. Thank God we didn't have to go to a prophet just to get a word from God. Thank God that the Holy Spirit was not poured out upon a few people. We're New Testament believers, which means that we do not worship in a tabernacle made with hands. We now the tabernacle of God. The Holy Spirit has been poured out upon all of us. Now, the reason I say that when New Testament believers and non-Old Testament saints is because sometimes we act like Old Testament people. We still think that warfare is contending with the devil, fighting wars, fighting fair. And we quote that one verse about Daniel, Daniel who sought the Lord, but the prince of Persia never says that was the devil, just the prince of Persia contended with him. And sometimes we use that as our model of prayer. Sometimes we believe that there are generational curses. Just because when Moses asked the Lord to show him his way, and God put him in the cleft of a rock, which is a place of revelation, and he said, I want to say these things to you. I am the Lord who visit the iniquities of the fathers upon the children to the second, third, fourth, and tenth generation. Notice now, that is an Old Testament concept. And now if you stay there as a New Testament believer, you will be operating on the basis that the sins of the fathers are visited upon the children. Not understanding if you read Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 18. And it makes a very clear sign that there's been a transition. No longer will I visit the sins of the fathers upon the children. In fact, the soul that sinneth will die. You've heard this proverb said, The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. No longer will this proverb be spoken. 
From this time on, if the fathers do evil and the children do righteousness, I will punish the father, but I will bless the children. If the fathers do that which is right, then the children do that which is evil. I will understand. I will bless the fathers, but then I will punish the children. No longer are we held accountable for the mistakes of others. Now, that's very critical because if we don't understand that, we'll be New Testament believers acting like Old Testament saints. So there's some other premise I need to understand before. Number one, you need to be clear because you don't understand this. You won't understand the things that God will do. So the second thing is that we must understand divine liability and human responsibility. Children, there's some things that God will not do. I often say there are two prayers that God will not answer. We're speaking of wisdom. We say wisdom is the recognition of God, of his ways, and his power. We say that wisdom is also our human response to God. We're saying also that our response to God is through a contractual relationship called faith. We're saying that the quality of this faith is dependent on what we have heard. If we've heard the wrong thing or something that's deficient, it affects the quality of our faith. We have the right, we have the privilege to hear everything, but we do not have the luxury to believe everything. And so we have to screen what we've heard so that we can understand. Knowledge is progressive. And as you move from Old Testament to the New Testament, there's a gradual unfolding of truth. We're not Old Testament saints. We're New Testament believers. We need to understand some things have changed. The economy of our life is not dependent upon Old Testament restrictions and restraints. You need to understand that. And so the next principle is that divine liability. What will God do and what will God not do? There are two fundamental prayers that God will not answer. God will not answer a prayer that requests him to do what he's empowered us to do. He will not do it. God will not answer prayer. Request me. God will not go preach the gospel. God will not go heal. He sends me. God will not go restore relationships. He sends me. I can't ask the Lord to change my mind. He will not change the mind. He will give you information and knowledge and revelation. He has given you the power of choice. That's why I say to people constantly, happiness and sadness are choice. You can choose to be happy and you can choose to be sad. So you need to understand, he will not answer prayer that requests him to do what he's empowered us to do. The second prayer he will not answer is any prayer that requests him to do what he's called finish. This is a very critical concern when you understand wisdom. Often when I go to preach, I'm so glad that it has not happened here. The preachers would gather around me and to pray that I will be anointed, a double portion of an anointing. Now understand that's an Old Testament principle. You need to understand that in the New Testament, you have one anointing. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I'm anointed even when I don't feel like it. I'm anointed even when you don't respond to me. I'm anointed even when you reject me. Because the anointing is the ongoing presence of the Holy Spirit. But they would gather around me and they would pray that God would give me a double anointing. That the anointing would fall upon me. And that I would be able to speak only the words of God. And I knew that those were prayers that would not be answered. First of all, everything that I would say that day will be a mixture of divine revelation and my human concept. Every word that comes out of my mouth is not the exact word of God. Anyone who claims to only speak the words of God are presumptuous. Because even prophecy is a mixture between the human and the divine. When you speak prophetically, it is God speaking, but it is also me speaking. That's why prophecy should always be judged. Should be judged, number one, for its source. Should be judged for its content. What did it say? Should be be judged for its intent. What is the meaning? And finally, should be judged by which we respond to it. 
And they were praying that I would have a double portion of an anointing. You need to understand the only time you hear reference to a double portion of an anointing is Old Testament. That cannot even be the transfer of an anointing. You understand that? In the Old Testament, the Lord said to Moses, take some of the anointing upon you and put it upon Joshua. Old Testament. And the New Testament, the anointing is poured out upon all flesh. So you need to understand two things that God will not do. He will not answer prayer. The request to him to do again what he's called finished. We have the Holy Ghost. You do not need more power. What you need is more wisdom. You do not need more power. What you need is more understanding. The presence of the Holy Ghost in you is sufficient. You have a bad spirit already. And he's more than enough for you. Are you hearing me now? The third principle you need to understand is that we have liberty of choice. We have absolute control over our attitudes. I believe you. I be, be, believe you. Behavior and our responses. Absolute control. No one can make you do anything. You have the freedom of choice. The fourth principle you need to understand is that we're not the prisoners of our past. We're not the prisoners of history. The past does not have dominion over us. We have been delivered. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. We just went through a sixth session in our church back in Atlanta where we had a, a philosophy of theology that came in and talked to the people about unhealed hurts, unmet needs, and all of these things that happened in the past. And I do believe that history can influence us. In fact, I often say that history is a teacher. And if you allow history to teach you, then the future will be your friend. But I often say we're not the victims of our past. We're not locked in our past. And just because you've had hurts and wounds and things of that nature, you can choose. You can choose to not let the past rule over you. You can choose to not let history dominate you. But there are times when we've not been able to move forward. It's called spiritual momentum. That's when we need helpers. We need deliverers. And that's one of the things that I do. I'm a helper. I'm an enabler. I'm called of God to help people to move on, to remember promises and covenants and commitment. I'm called to help people to see the future and to distinguish things past from things present and things to come. I'm called to help people to discern the gifts and callings within them. And one of the things that I often say to leaders, in McCaffrey, gifts and callings may take you to the crest of the mountain, but only integrity will keep you there. You need to understand these principles. So this is the premise that I have here. The next premise you need to understand, longevity and popularity are no criteria for truth. Just because you have been believing something a long time does not make it correct. Just because it is popular does not make it correct. You need to also understand that first impressions are not always correct. How many of you know that sometimes you judge things by first impressions? I heard some of the testimonies that when I came in, I judged something by what I saw. Oh, I judged the present based upon my past conception. You need to understand that many times first impressions are not always right. You need to also understand, as I said before, that two can walk together when they don't agree. Now, I'm talking about wisdom. Because if we do not understand this, we'll be seeking to align ourselves with people who are just like us. If you're going to influence people, you must be willing to have a high level of accommodation. You must be understanding that, hear me carefully, unity, how can I say it? Unity and sameness are not the same. I can be united in a common cause. But just because you and I think differently, there's nothing wrong with that. I do believe we must understand a plurality of beliefs. 
I do not have all truth. I only have a portion of it. So my world increases according to the people and the ideas and experiences I let into my life. You can keep your world small or you can let your world get large. Since I've come to Korea, I've seen a lot of things here. Wonderful things that I've seen. I've discovered there's some food that I will never eat. <laughs> At least not again. <clears throat> I've discovered that there's a soup that is made here that is too hot for God. It should be illegal and outlawed. And I discovered that people around you who you think are your friends are not really your friends because they knew that soup was too hot for me. They knew that soup would cause me the perspire and the sweat and the despair for life. And they sat there and watched me and observed and rejoiced solidly within themselves. And kept saying, thank God. Ah, oh, you thank God. I'll give another premise. Sustained disobedience. Sustained disobedience is a criteria for spiritual blindness. If you continue to disobey God, if you continue to not do the things that God has told you to do, then it, it, it becomes an inability for you to see and hear. God gives divine admonitions. Here's our promise. I'm about to get into what I need to say. God gives divine admonitions. He says things to us like this. Endure hardness as a good soldier. Don't be entangled with the affairs of this life. Well, how do you do that? He says things like this. Don't be weary in well-doing. Because in due season, you'll reap if you faint not. How do you, not, how do, you do that? How, how do you not be weary? How do you uh, be unmovable, unshakable, always abounding in the things of God? How, how do you do that? So you see that the admonitions in the Lord, but he doesn't quite give us the understanding of how to do that. You need to understand this principle. We live between two worlds. Speaking of wisdom, wisdom is our ability to know. Wisdom is our ability to respond to God. And I'm trying to present to you this, this premise today. You can have faith, but lack wisdom. You can have faith and lack knowledge. That's the whole principle of 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. He says, add to your faith, knowledge. Add to your faith, benevolence. Add to your faith, brotherly kindness. In essence, you can have faith and be selfish. You can have faith and be stubborn. You can have faith and be presumptuous. So what I'm saying, you can have faith without wisdom. And I'm trying to present to you that we live between two worlds. Now, this is very critical. There's a world seen and there's a world unseen. Jesus made it very clear in answering the pilot. My kingdom is not of this world. Now, if you do not understand that, number one, you'll find yourself measuring your life based upon worldly standards. That's a very challenging thing. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and then to lose his soul? The measurement of your life is not tangible possession. God is not opposed to that. Hear me carefully. You're not successful because you achieve everything that you want to do. There's something greater than success called greatness. Greatness is to be a servant of all. So we live between two worlds. This is called biblical paradoxes. A paradox is a concept that makes no sense in this natural world. For example, in order to gain your, your life, you must lose it. In order to gain, you must give. 
In order to be great, you must serve. No, that doesn't make any sense. If I'm to be great, you must serve me. You must bring to me. He said, no, that's in the world. I'm saying that greatness means to serve others. See, these kind of things, now we do not understand this. We'll respond to God irreverently. We won't be operating in faith. We'll be operating in stubbornness. Or we'll be operating in presumptions. Let me give you one before I finish what I need to say. And this is this. presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is no substitute for sound knowledge, sound thinking. You receive the Holy Spirit as power, not as intelligence. I'll say that again. You receive the Holy Spirit as power, not as intelligence. The intelligence of God is to be found in the scripture. That is a problem that many times old line holiness and Pentecostal people had power. But they had no theology, no doctrine that helps them understand. And for that reason, many times, they had the power to heal. They had the power to raise the dead. But they could not function in the world in which they were called. So they didn't pursue education. They felt that an educated mind would hinder the Holy Ghost. They didn't involve themselves in the world in which they found themselves. Because they felt that the world was under the judgment of God. So they ran from the world. They did not want to operate among heathens or sinners because they felt that these people would contaminate them because they felt, number one, they had the Holy Ghost and that was all that they need. And for that reason, they didn't grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. So when you speak of the wisdom of God, God is saying he wants to expand us. He wants to give you a knowledge and an understanding as young people. You need to understand that wisdom, hear me carefully, is not age specific. You do not have to wait to be 70 and 80 and 90 years of age to get wisdom. There's something called the spirit of wisdom in the revelation and the knowledge of the Lord. God wants to give us spirit of wisdom. But you need to understand wisdom comes many times by experience. So there's something called the law of experience. There's some things that you must go through in order to learn. Some things you must go through in order to learn. There's something called the law of association. There's some people that you must meet. Priscilla and Aquila had to meet Apollos to instruct him more in the things of God. That's why some of the people that you meet in life may not be always people acceptable to you. They may not always be people to your liking, but the law of association says you must have some contact with them. That's something called the law of place. The law of place. There's some places that you must go. The Lord said to the prophet, go down to this place and there I will speak to you. Why can't you speak to me in my bedroom? Why can you speak to me when I was on the way? He said, no, no. The Lord places that I want you to go down to this place. And there I will speak to you. It was necessary that I come to Korea. There's something that I'm to receive here. And there's something that I'm to part. There were some people that I had to meet here. And that had to meet me. Because there's a law of association. There's the law of time. There's a time and season in God. There's an open window. You can't just do things anytime you want to. You can't even, even repent until God gives you the power to repentance. And that was a time. I knew this was the time to come. And everything wanted to hinder us. Even on our flight coming here. <clears throat> All of a sudden, while sitting on the plane, these two women come up. And they were not wrong simply because they were women. Men have often been wrong. <laughs> but they came up to me and said, you need a visa. Where's your visa? 
I said, I don't need a visa. They told me I did not need a visa. Oh, yes, I need to go check this. And Amy Catholic, she was zealous. She was enthusiastic. She was convinced within herself. Which lets me know that you can sometimes be zealous and enthusiastic and convinced and be wrong. Yeah. And she sent one of the chief, chief representatives of the airline in a red coat. That always indicates something. She <laughs> sat down to me and she said that when you get to Detroit, you must make sure that you check with someone about getting a visa or a waiver for a visa. It's absolutely necessary. You must do this. You hear me? And then they left me to my own thoughts and concepts for the next hour and a half. And on my way on that flight, I had to believe. I could not fast because I'd eaten. And I had to pray and ask the Lord. I knew you told me to come to Korea. I knew you said this was a time. I knew this was the hour. I knew there were people I had to meet. And now these two women are telling me that I must have a visa. And so my wife was full of wisdom and revelation. That's why every good man is not good until you find a good woman. She had wisdom to see beyond the moment. Because sometimes you can be myopic. You can be so caught up with the present that you forget the surrounding things. She said, if I'm to know something about Korea, I need to talk to people who actually know. And so she got on the phone and she called the Korean embassy. They said, for 90 days, you need no visa if you have a legitimate passport. I did have that. And so by the time I got this information, you must understand Oh, the life in me had been drained. All my emotions were gone. I had a headache. I had a challenge. I was experiencing something called prophetic contradictions. Hear my words. Prophetic contradiction. This is wisdom. Prophetic contradictions means that sometimes God can speak to you. God can make known his will. And all of a sudden, people and ideas and concepts enter your sphere. To make you question whether or not you've heard from God. To make you question whether or not you've heard correctly from God. The fact to even try to make you believe that you did not hear from God. You need to understand just because you've heard from God does not mean that everything will go right. Sometime when God speaks, it's the initiation of trouble. In fact, I'll give you this piece of wisdom now. If you have ever prayed, thy kingdom come and thy will be done, you're asking for trouble. You're asking for trouble. You're praying for a cosmic conflict. You're praying for light to collide to darkness. You're praying for truth to contradict heresy. You're praying for crooked places to be made straight, rough places to be made plain. And how many know that is not a painless situation? So whenever you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you should start anticipating trouble. Some of you think that when you pray for that, you're praying for peace. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a father at variance with his son, a mother at variance with a daughter, a household divided. That's why I've come. So we need to understand faith, stubbornness, presumption. How does it relate to you? Well, let me speak to you a little bit out of my heart. Now that I've gone through these technical pieces here. <clears throat> I have a friend of mine that's uh, in California. He's a bishop. And uh, they said to him, um, you have a disease. And this disease will restrict you. You cannot travel. You cannot do the things that you used to do. 
because the disease would hinder you. He did not have a clear word from God because faith comes from a clear word of God. But he refused to allow that counsel to control him. He did not believe that what they were saying, number one, was totally true. And so he refused to listen to them. Dogged determination. That's why I say that faith and stubbornness can be first cousin. Sometimes faith, hear me carefully, it comes after stubbornness. He refused to give in. He refused to yield. He refused to listen to a multitude of counsel. Because in a multitude of counsel, there can be safety and danger. A lot of people can be wrong. He refused to listen. And he stubbornly resisted everything that would come against him. He resisted and was stubbornly, doggedly refused to listen to the cries of his own body that said, you're weak. You need to give in. You need to give up. He said, no, I won't. He refused. And his stubbornness, his dogged determination kept him alive until faith came. Faith came with a word from God that said you would live and not die. Faith came that said, God has called you to travel to the nation. God's will never takes you where his grace will not keep you. Oh, you hear me. The will of God will never take you where his grace will not keep you. Grace of God is a tangible thing. The grace of God is revelation. The grace of God is wisdom. The grace of God is knowledge. The grace of God is a person. The grace of God is when someone comes into your life and contradicts you and disagrees with you. That is the grace of God. We need to understand to receive the grace of God. We're often looking for people to affirm what we believe. You do not understand. You cannot grow unless people contradict you. Contradiction is the grace of God. And so he had to learn this. And so finally, his stubbornness turned into faith. His faith. But there was a time that he operated in presumption. Presumption. His presumption was based upon the fact that if two people walk together, they must be in agreement. And so even though we had had strong relationships over the years, he felt because I was associated in a ministry with problems. How many know that God's world is not perfect? How many know it's not perfect because you are here? <laughs> it's perfect when he made it. But the moment we came is when trouble came. He said to me he had no problems with the, with the fish nor the dogs, nor the serpents, nor the birds. They simply obeyed him. They did what he designed them to do. But you humans. And so he felt, number one, because I was associated with a ministry that got into great difficulty. A ministry where his leader was a pioneer. A lot of the things you hear in the kingdom of God, and a lot of the drama, and the dance, choreographed dancing, a lot of the forms of worship, innovative and creative concept of worship, using mime and drama to expand the understanding of the kingdom of God. Rap. When we first introduced rap into our church, they thought we had backslidden. <laughs> Until I started telling them, Jeremiah was a rapper. <laughs> What's going on, dude? I just want to tell you, Israel, you don't walk with God. God's going to set you back. God's going to set you free. He's going to go. So, prophets were rappers. But see, I believe that rappers are 21st century prophets. They take ideas, revelations of God, and they put music to it. And they have the ears of the world. They can just stay in tune with God. They're mainly prophets of God. But he felt because I was associated with a ministry 
Number one, indeed started in truth. As Paul said to Galatians, you started in the spirit. Now you will end in the flesh. And so they got into all kind of difficulties and crisis. And he felt because we stayed in association with the ministry, wisdom. He felt that we must be in agreement with all of the principles, precepts, and practices. He did not know that God never takes the profit away from his people when they're in trouble. God does not run from trouble, children. God deals with it. So he felt because I was there. That the fact that I didn't leave meant that I must be in agreement. Because he felt that how can two walk together unless they agree? And I said that was a question. That was not a proclamation. How can two walk together unless they agree? And God answers that question regarding Israel. He said I walk with you all of your life and I have never agreed with you. But I have never left you. I have never forsaken you. And so his presumption was, number one, he needed to cut me off. He needed to stop communicating this presumption. Because he presumed that because I was there as a prophet, I must be in agreement. He presumed that because we remain in association with the ministry, we must be in agreement with all of the concepts and ideas. He presumed that because we were there, it was a testimony of weakness. You need to understand, children, we have to redefine strength and weakness. The stronger reaches out to the weaker. The weak is not the one, number one, hear me carefully, that gives in. Then the stronger is not the one that always has that way. You need to understand the greatest testimony of strength sometimes is yielding. The weaker one always wants to have that way. Always wants to be in charge. Always has to have the last word. And when things don't go that way, they leave. That's not strength, that's weakness. Strength is staying your course. Strength is stepping over line that people draw. Strength is reaching out your hand when nobody will. Strength is forgiveness. Strength is yielding sometimes. That's strength. No, that's not weakness. You need to understand. They asked me one time about forgiveness. What is forgiveness? Because they were told that in order to forgive someone, you had to forget. Make note of this. Forgiveness, hear me carefully, is not memory loss. It is memory without vengeance. I can forgive you and still remember what you've done. I can forgive you and still not forget because in order for me to forgive, I must remember so that I don't repeat, allow you to repeat the same things again. But vengeance belongs to the Lord. So give that which belongs to God. And so this man operated in presumption because he felt that because we were there, we're separated and we must be a part of it. So refuse. He distanced himself. And some of you must understand that you may be operating in presumption. You operate in a presumption because you think, number one, you're a victim of your past. You operate in a presumption because you think your human weakness, number one, is a contradiction of God's power. One word from God can strengthen you. One idea from God can bring you into your destiny. You need to understand that a revelation of God is compensation for your human inability. What you cannot do by the flesh, you can do by the spirit. You need to understand one thought, one wisdom, one discernment, one concept from God can enable you to do what you thought you never could do. Your presumption because you have self-limited yourself because of your own concepts of yourself. So this man separated himself, but his stubbornness kept him. And eventually he came to faith. Now I wonder sometimes how many of us have responded just out of stubbornness. Stubbornness is not negative. Sometimes you have to be stubborn to stay where you are. Sometimes you're stubborn not to leave. I've understood sometimes in marriage relationship, 
One that was stubborn, wouldn't give up, wouldn't yield. Because they felt, number one, what God has joined together. Let nobody cast asunder. You need to understand that. And so I've just come to stir your consciousness. Is it faith that you're operating in? Did you hear a word from God? And if you heard a word from God, did you interpret it properly? Is it faith when you refuse to go to a doctor because God said, I'm the Lord that heals you? That's presumption. God heals through doctors. He heals through medicine. He heals through science. Science is simply a child of faith. You need to understand this. I don't know how many of you know Oral Roberts. Know Oral Roberts University? Many of you heard of Oral Roberts University? Okay. How many of you heard of Kenneth Hagin? Kenneth Hagin, many of you? Okay. Well, I won't give the story because you never heard of it. <laughs> but it's a classic example where a person believed that supernatural healing was void of medicine. Had a grandson that was dying, a young fellow. And after they had prayed and fasted and rebuked the devil. See, it's presumption sometimes to conclude that every negative thing comes from the devil. It's presumption. And so they had rebuked the devil and they had prayed and fasted and the child was no better. Sort of like the young woman had spent all she had, you know, spent all she had and she was no better. Some people presumptuously concluded that, number one, you shouldn't go to doctors because you spent all you had and you're no better. And so the Lord spoke to him to go to Oral Roberts and whatever Oral Roberts said to do, to do. Or she let my doctors pray for him. Let my doctors examine him because Oral was building the city of faith. Found out he had a small aneurysm. That if he was not treated properly, the child would die. They treated it with simple intervention. And the child is old today because of that one thing. Presumption sometimes is when you limit God. Presumption. Presumption sometimes is when you restrict the hand of God. Unbelief. Presumption sometimes is when you won't give in. When you won't yield. Presumption sometimes when you refuse to forgive. And presumption sometimes is when you won't listen to the counsel of others. I've had to learn to listen to people. I've had to learn to listen to people who disagreed with me. Because hear me carefully, I've learned that it's not an agreement, but it's in disagreement that I grow. I've learned that the dimensions of my world will only expand when I allow people into my world that I don't want in my world. Because there are some people that are distasteful, some people that are disagreeable. And I must admit, last evening I met once again. I prayed at times that God would kill certain people, not recognizing that he would not. Because, number one, I did not like them. And I've discovered that people who I don't like may be beloved of God. And so these kind of things that I've learned. But how do you know when you're operating in faith? First of all, faith must be validated. Faith will be affirmed by the word of God. There'll be those that God will put in your life at some point in time that he will affirm faith. And will let you know that you're hearing the truth of God. That's why I never... Discount prophecy. Never discount a word of knowledge, a word of ministry, the ministration of the spirit. It may be God's way of affirming what you believe in your heart. Don't ever discount that, children. Hear me carefully. How do you know when to stubbornness? Stubbornness. Stubbornness does not always bring the fruit that you expect. Faith is a substance of things what? Hope for and evidence of things what? Unseen. When you walk in faith, that will be fruit. I promise you that. Sometime in stubbornness, that will be fruit. But stubbornness can take you toward faith, but it can take you away from. There has to come people that will, number one, give you clarification of stubbornness. And presumption. How do you know when you're operating in presumption? God is the one that will give clarity regarding that. Are you hearing me this morning? Are you hearing me? And what I say making sense to you. You're a quiet group, and uh, I'm used to sometimes in circles where people shout and dance and say hallelujah and amen. Praise God. They forewarned me that you would be a silent group because you would be listening. 
And so, uh, that's what they said to me. And so, if they don't say too much, it's indicative that, that they're hearing. One man said, they can't say amen when you're speaking so fast. Because every time they're trying to write something, you share ten more points. Keep them in a state of panic. And sometimes they're looking unhappy because they can't record as fast as you're speaking. And they're frustrated because they can't keep up with you. And so finally, when they put their pen down and pencil, they said, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. Get the tape. That's all you can do. But they told me uh, this morning after uh, speaking 50 minutes, I think, that I would have some time with ministry. Is that right? Okay. And uh, I want to minister to you selectively this morning. I do believe the Lord has put these thoughts in my heart. Remember, I wanted to stir your consciousness. I wanted to stir your sensitivity to your world and the things of God. And to let you know that we're not infallible creatures, children. At times, we make mistakes. Two things to always be aware of, the grace and the mercy of God. Grace is when you receive that which you did not deserve. Mercy is when you do not receive the judgment that you warranted. Even though you made mistakes and stumble, that's the mercy of God. The mercy of God. You don't receive the judgment that you do. Hear me carefully. God knows that we're flesh. He knows that we're people learning. We're people in process. He understands that. Don't be more harder on yourself than God is. Don't be more critical of yourself than God is. There's no mistake that you've made that His grace and mercy will not cover. Stop lamenting over your past and your history what you did wrong. The bad decision you made. The wrong relationship. Stop being so critical. Self-doubt is not profitable. Stop doubting yourself when God has affirmed you. Don't let your human emotions control you. Your emotions are wonderful friends, but they're terrible rulers. Don't let those things control you. I want to pray for some of you. I want to pray for, first of all, people that have heard what I've said this morning. Always when you are trying to preach and teach, it's always conceptual. It's always in part. One of the greatest frustrations of ministry is that you're not too sure if you communicate it totally to the people. Thoughts and ideas you put in your heart. Those of you who preach and teach, don't ever condemn yourself. Don't ever think, hear me carefully, the receptivity of your message is based upon the response of people. Don't ever do that. Don't think just because you feel like you've done something right, you've done it. And don't ever think that when you think you've done it wrong, hear me carefully, you didn't do it right. God is a judge. There's nothing before the Lord. Don't judge your ministry based on external appearances. None of that. But those of you that have heard my word, I will give an opportunity to pray for you. I'm going to give you some categories. I believe that my words in some of you has provoked you, number one, to go on with God. There's some limitation that you had in your own life. Self-imposed limitation. You felt, number one, that you were restricted for whatever reason. Could be your perception. Could be your concept. Could be your understanding of God. Some of you might have felt that God has been punishing you or chasing you. Oh, I understand chastisement, children. But you need to understand God is the author and finisher of your faith. He's not the cause of all those struggles and trials and distresses. No. God doesn't put you through heartache and sorrow and it'll make you strong in faith. The word of God builds faith. And some of you think sometimes because of what you're going through, you have an attitude toward God. A woman said to me one time, she was going through distress. She said, I want to know what I did wrong. I said, you did nothing wrong. I want to know why God's taking me through this. I said, God is not taking you through that. 
I said, I don't understand why you're going through it. I don't know if it's bad to judgment, wrong decisions. I don't know if it was antagonism. I don't know if it's bad beliefs and concepts. I don't know why it is, but I want you to understand it's the will of God that you get through. She had become stagnated. Spiritual stagnation is when you stop growing. Because see, all of you can fall back. You can remain where you are or you can go in with God. I come to provoke momentum in you. I come to say this is the law of time. This is a time. A time where you are to go beyond where you are. Hear me carefully. Yesterday's maximums will be tomorrow's minimums. What you've done yesterday in such greatness. What you've achieved yesterday will not be the standard of the measurement of your future. God has greater things for you. More things. More ministries. More things. More places to go. More things to see. You will not, hear me carefully, have an addiction to a place. Some people can't move beyond a place because they think God is in a place. He's the God of all the earth. Some of you will leave your motherland. You will go to other places. You will. Knowing that God has sent you. And that's the assurance that you need. That God has sent me. If I know that it's of God, then I'm not bothered by the challenges. Because I know that his grace, number one, takes me where his will keeps me always. So those of you that have heard my word, I want to give you a response. Response to... Respond to God. Respond to God. You heard what I've said. I've set before you very clearly the things of God. I've spoken in a language that's clear to understand. I have. I set before you propositions that you understood. And some of you know that God is speaking to your heart and mind now. You know, things that he's saying to you about your future and about your past. Some of you today, you would disconnect with some things. Past hurt. Because all of you have fundamental needs. All of you. You have a need for acceptance. You want to be accepted. You have a need for assurance. You want guarantees. The only guarantee you have is the faithfulness of God. You have a need for liberty and freedom. You want to be free to make your own decisions and choices. You have a need also for wholeness. You want to be whole spiritually, psychologically, and physically. We have fundamental questions, don't we? We want to know if God will help us. That's what we want to know. Running other churches. And you want to know if you'll have sufficiency. You want to know if we'll have sufficiency, whether it's in provisions or people. We want to know if people will leave us. Leave us. Let me say to you something, children. The only somebody that will never leave is God. Make that clear. God is the only one that's eternal. He's the only one that liveth and never dieth. He's the only one that has the power to give his word and watch over to perform it. People do not always have that power. I wish they did, but they don't. So you want to know if you have been believing the right things or if you've believed the wrong things. That's why I broached this topic about faith, stubbornness, and presumption. Presumption is always an expression of ignorance, misunderstanding. Stubbornness sometimes is disobedience with knowledge. You know to do, but you refuse. Faith is our response to God. We want to know. We want to know. If we come down with an incurable disease, with faith in God, heal us. I want to tell you, he will. He's the Lord that heals us. He has the power to speak. But sometimes you must speak to your own self. Speak to your own body. Sometimes you must prophesy to your own situations. Every day I rise, I fill my mind with the thoughts and the ideas of God. If I fill my mind with his thoughts, there's no place in my mind for 
unbelief and doubt and fear. You've heard my words. You've heard my words. You've heard thoughts. They're the thoughts of God speaking to you. My words are just a catalyst to precipitate something that's already there. Faith came in your heart. Respond. Maybe repentance. Repentant. Maybe fear was there. Fear is just a preoccupation with human inabilities. Faith is a preoccupation with God. And whatever was there, I promise you, been set free. So you have an opportunity to come. I don't know if you want to come here or stand in the aisle or just to stand. But I want to give you an opportunity to respond. And I pray for you. An opportunity to respond. I haven't always done well at these kind of uh, altar calls because I don't believe in earthly altars. An altar in the Old Testament was where bloodletting was. But things were killed. Hmm. May not be a bad idea. Things were killed. Well, you come down to the altar, we might kill you. The scripture says, in order to gain your life, you must first what? Lose your life. Unless a corn of wheat falls to the ground and what? Dies. You shall not bring forth fruit. So our altar is in heaven. We have no earthly altar. An altar is a place where you gather to meet God. In fact, the greatest altar is in your heart. It's in your mind. That's the greatest altar because there is where you commune with him. Sometime in your thoughts, your concepts, and your ideas. And hopefully if I stirred something with you. So I'm going to give you an opportunity. Some of you can come down. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Don't know your response. I, I'm not going to pray that you be delivered of demons because you don't have them. Evil spirits cannot possess you. They can influence you. They can influence you through counsel, through false thoughts, misconceptions, through ideas. Are they? We've broken some of those. We've broken some of those. Because you know evil has no dominion over you. I won't uh, pray necessarily for your healing because I believe that healing is a children's blood. And the finger of God is here to heal. He's healing now. I promise you, sickness in your body today, when you return to physicians, they won't see it. It won't be there. It won't be there. Malfunctions, generational sickness and disease, that stopped with Jesus. Need a son, he breaks all lineages. I don't care what sickness was common in your family. It won't come now you. If it come now you, it's illegitimate. It has no right. It is an intruder. And you must say, by the name of Jesus, it must leave. So, and for some of you that are concerned about your future and your marriage relationship, I dare say that's a critical thing because our concern is always relational, isn't it? Who are we going to get married to? And let me say this right now. Marriage is for grown people, not children. I said again, marriage is for grown people and not children. I said over here, marriage is for grown people <laughs> and not children. Thank you. Children leave. Children get upset. They get bothered when they don't get their way. Marriage is trouble. Marriage is war. Every marriage needs a weather forecaster. Because every marriage will have warm weather and bad weather. Good times and bad times. Every marriage needs someone to declare sunshine 
even in the midst of rain. So marriage is for grown people, not children. Marriage is war, but marriage is wonderful. And some of you are thinking about your future and your marriage. I promise you, hear me carefully. Don't marry just because of emotions. There's a greater reason to join yourself to someone. Trust me, everything changes. Everything changes. As you get older, you lose hair. Things that were up here. And where once you said, wow, there come a time when you said, oh my God. And some of you are married who want to have children. Sometimes, for whatever reason, that seemed to have escaped you. I was listening to Brother Benjamin recount when he and his wife had not had children, and a prayer was prayed by a man that said, uh, If you want to have a child, you will have one. But tell me if you don't want to, because when I pray, God will touch you. When the authority of God is put within my heart, I say to some of you, if you were barren, you will be barren no more. You bring forth life. And for some of you, you'll not bring forth one at a time, but it will be two at a time. Never forget when my son was being born. Never forget this. There was a time before any of you even saw the light. You weren't even a speck in your parents' eyes. I'm 70 years of age, so you know it was a long time ago. I was in my early 20s. I was in the waiting room, waiting for the birth. Because then they wouldn't let you go into the waiting room as they do today. I want you to go and to observe the delivery. Oh, my God. <laughs> One of my young um, lawyers was in the delivery room with his wife. And when the pain would hit, ladies, you know what I'm speaking of, it caused you to say things that sometimes you wouldn't say in church. <laughs> and he made the unmistakable gesture of saying to his wife, at the height of the pregnancy, the height of the delivery, I can't believe it's that bad. And I said to him sometime later, after his wounds had healed. You didn't really say that. He said, I said it in ignorance and unbelief. I said, but you will never say it again. Some of you that were barren, you'll have not just one, but two sitting in that reception area. I'll never forget the woman came out in a white gown. That's what they wore back then. She looked at the men standing out there all in fear and trembling. Whenever the door would open, our heart would jump. She looked at one and she said, you have a daughter. Praise God. Door would shut. We'd all congratulate him. She'd come out again and say to another, you have a son. Praise God. And we were rejoice and shake hands with him. Then she came out again and said to the same guy, you have another son. <laughs> I saw his face drop. 
And when the door opened the third time, and before she could say anything, I saw the same man say, oh, my God. You'll have children. You'll have the houses and lands. You'll have the things that you want and desire. But the Spirit of God is here. He's never left. He's always here. The thing of God is here to heal. He's answering your prayer and giving you the wisdom and counsel that you desire. That he's given you. He set his hand upon this ministry. It's a ministry that will touch nations. Touch the world. Well, before your day and hour has come, oh, you'll see and do mighty things. Well, you'll not succumb to the mistakes of predecessors. You're not. You'll extend the borders of your tent. You do things that have not been done before. You won't stumble, hear me carefully, over the human mistakes of pride or greed or selfishness. Because after all, all of those things limit you. Greed consumes you. Pride blinds you. Anger confuses you. Prejudice eliminates your ability to see the good in other people. You bring many other people into your world and you end into the world of many. And the young women... You will do things that far exceeds those who preceded you. There'll be no limitations placed upon you. Because this ministry will teach and proclaim, as it already does, the co-equality, the co-essentiality, the co-substantiality of men and women. You are a new breed, a new generation. The grace of God. He's chosen you. Like he's chosen Israel, if you allow me to make the analogy. Though you were the least of all. But he's chosen to reveal himself in you, in you. I'll walk with you along the journey from afar and from near. I don't know if I'll ever see your face again or if you will see mine. But I will be praying for you. And if he puts a word in my heart, I will get it to you. Either by carrier pigeon or by the airlines or by the blessed internet. I will get a word to you. I'll be there to encourage you in the weak times. And the times of confusion, I'll give you a word of God. But I declare today that from you will rise up prophets. From you will rise up apostles. From you will rise up evangelists and teachers and pastors. From you, churches will spring forth, lights in many different places. God has chosen to do this in a green tree, in a green tree. Don't look upon me as if I'm a dry tree, still green. Be careful. I can still outrun many of you right today. Don't think for one thing. God has chosen to do this to you. I want to do something that's maybe a little bit unorthodox. I want to ask Brother Christian and his wife if they would come down. If I can, they would come down.